Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm a feminist, but backstage here at Chichester Festival Theatre, I was slightly tempted to try on a Nazi uniform from The Sound of Music. <laughs> I was also tempted to try on the lederhosen. I just love costumes, not Nazis. I did actually try on a nun's habit for a second, and the jury's out on whether that's feminist or not. <laughs> In some ways it is, because women who went into nunneries and convents often were avoiding marriage and more... Some, in some eras, that was the only other thing you could do. Mm. And loads of lesbians went into convents to try and avoid men and find women. Yeah. I, th- I, think, good, good I think being a nun is like the punkest thing you can ever do. I was filming... What? Yeah, yeah I do, yeah. The punkest Actually, yeah. thing you can ever do? No. Okay, that was an exaggeration. I was... Because I think I being just, a punk rocker is probably, it's probably the punkest punk thing that you could ever do, yeah. No, I, was, I got a bit excited because I'm here. No, <laughs> no, it's because I, I was filming in Rome a couple of years ago and they love it there. I don't know if you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they absolutely can't get enough. What, nuns? Uh, they just love it, like Catholicism. Like They're big into it in Rome. Um, <laughs> you, you genuinely look confused. <laughs> yes, I'm telling you. Um, so, and I saw these nuns who were just playing football. In their little sandals. And I was nice. like, that is the punk, one of the punkest things. Sorry, were you not seen? playing a footballing nun while you were there? Yeah. 
Oh, I was playing a nun in a film. But it wasn't me that was playing football. I was watching these nuns play football. Yeah, but in the cool. fo- wasn't the, fo- the, the film about football, though? Yeah. And you were a nun. Yeah, it was a football, a football coach. film. The and film you isn't saw- out yet. This means absolutely nothing to any of you. What's um, the film called when it comes out? It's called The Beautiful Game. And it'll be out on Netflix, I think, one day. Um, but <laughs> we filmed it two years ago. That's what it's like in the industry right now. But yeah, I saw these nuns playing football. And I thought nice. that was like, very cool. Yeah. That is punk, I think. Are there any nuns in Chichester? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Only backstage here, I see. Um, Well, there's certainly no nuns in by the sound of it. There's not a convent here is what I'm saying. There used to be. You said that with an ominous tone. There used to be. be. We closed it down. (laughs) We ran them out. Them and their football. (laughs) We just knocked on the door and said, no, we won't be having that here. Hmm? The nuns closed it down. (gasps) So they had enough of you guys. Oh. oh, there weren't enough nuns to keep it operative. Yeah, because women have other opportunities now. I think that's what's happened. Yeah. No, I do, I do think that's mostly what's <laughs> happened, is women have gone, I can be a teacher or a nurse without being a nun, and I can also be... I can also have to get married without being a nun as well now. Yeah. I'm a feminist, but last Tuesday night, as I was hunched over my toilet, throwing up... Uh, everything that was in my stomach. I'd been feeling super nauseous all day and was violently sick all night. My life flashed before my eyes, though it wasn't strictly my life. It was kind of like a roll call of the bottom of the barrel of men I've dated. Like, every rubbish, useless, Harry, Dean, I've dated Dean, Jake, like, all of them just flashed before my eyes. And I thought, Susan, right... This is what you get for starting therapy, developing boundaries, and having high standards and self-worth, a lonely death. (laughs) They don't tell you that. They don't tell you that in therapy, that as soon as you start acquiring any self-worth, it is a guarantee that you'll die alone. They keep that quiet. You might, mean a, you might meet a man worthy of you. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm, I, I'm a feminist, but tonight I made my husband go back to the hotel to get my heels and eyelashes because I didn't feel I could go on stage and be the ringmaster of a feminist show without them. <laughs> but I think you'll find it was worth it. Eyelashes. Yeah. Shoes. <laughs> People always say, you look like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz in these shoes, and you should click your heels and go home. But who wants to be home in these shoes? <laughs> is what I respond. All right, this is a controversial one. It might be, I don't know. Um, I'm a feminist, but turns out I still don't give a shit about football, even when it's women. I don't care. I will die on this hill. You it literally is, uh, yeah. wax lyrical about nuns. Yeah. Playing football while yeah. you were in a movie about football. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I will take the money. I will pretend. <laughs> but no, you, I'm but judging it the whole a, time. You enjoyed a nun doing a header. Yeah. There's just something, you know, something, <laughs> I'm a feminist, but it's something cute about nuns, like, <laughs> mm, kicking a ball around. No, I hate football. It's so silly. And I think what it is, it is, it is. And, like, you see people... Oh, here we go, here we go. You see people get so passionate about it and they're, 
oh my God, football. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Also, I'm not talking about like countries or anything. I don't any country. If you get obsessed about football, you're, you're a numpty. And they start with people like, they, they get so excited and they've got like a vein in their forehead and they're like, football has solved immigration and war. And you're just like, you're stressing me out. Just like, have a chamomile tea and relax. It just feels like everybody will, will just avoid doing the actual work of like solving the world's problems but they'll look to football and be like they've done it they scored a goal it's all done no more racism it's all done we're all together in it together and it's just it's i would love football more if it was just entertainment if we were just like oh a football match how lovely um but the fact that people sort of like attach so much to it i'm like it hasn't solved feminism it hasn't like it hasn't it hasn't given us, you know, it hasn't solved the gender pay gap or anything like that. We lost as well. So, like, <laughs> will women ever get it right? Um, <laughs> I think, well, I think them losing in a final is them striving for equality with the men's team. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, truly, I think they won and everyone went, oh, we don't know what to do with that because it's not the men. But yeah, good. And this time they went, will you like us as much if, as the men if we disappoint you? Like if we lead you down this garden path and you've still got something to hope for next time? I think they did it on purpose. <laughs> I think they threw it because no one responded well enough when they won the Euro. No, no so one I think So I think they just went, fuck you. We're going to do exactly what the men do. We're going to disappoint you. We're going to lead you right to the final and disappoint you. And... You know, that's equality. That's See, gender equality. That is a silly game. All of that just for kicking a football. I, I don't I don't get it. Did you, who just who watched it though? <laughs> oh, was that a, a, was man. That a man? Well we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to gender anybody, but was that a man? That was a man. Okay, great. And did you enjoy the lionesses? You loved it. Oh that's lovely. Of course you did. I don't know why why am I going <laughs> I don't even know what I meant by that comment actually. <laughs> I'm just what? wry as fuck today. What? What? Uh, I, I don't know why I'm giving you extra kudos for enjoying it as a man, because women have to enjoy men things all the time. But I'm delighted that you did. The bar's uh, lower. The bar's lower. What do you mean? For men? Yeah, yeah you're not telling us anything we don't know, sir. <laughs> Thank you for that endorsement, but we were aware. Um, it's true. It is true. If a man says Thank he's you. a feminist, often my audience, if I talk to a man in the audience, they say he's a feminist, my, my audience will go, and I'm like, oh, they applaud. I'm like, don't applaud that. All he's done is say it. He hasn't done anything that we know of. You're all here. Why are we applauding it? But we like you. What's your name? Lot. Lot. I like you a lot now. Mm. <laughs> Again, don't know why I said that. You, Lot. Yeah, okay. What do you do, Lot? You're with the what? what? The Office of... Nat Nas national, national statistics. <gasps> Do you have any good feminist statistics for us? Uh, no good ones. No, <laughs> no good ones. <laughs> Not. But it's isn't there something bad, like? Bad, bad, can't bad. you statistically prove that women are better but treated worse? Uh, <laughs> Go and work on that, and come back to this show when you have. <laughs> Thank you, Lot. Are you still here? You shouldn't be. You should be out the door. <laughs> um, I'm a feminist, but now I have to set this up by telling you, and I'm a feminist, but I did a couple of shows ago because you won't, it hasn't gone out yet, but you'll see why. Um, so this is the original one I did, and there's an add-on now. I'm a feminist, 
But I found out recently, when sleazy men check out or try to talk to my goddaughter, she loves telling them, I'm 13, because it freaks them out and they run away. So now I use it. <laughs> so I was walking up this escalator on the tube, because I'm trying to, trying to get my steps in, you know. And a man just, just went, oh, nice ass. And to be fair to him, I have a nice ass. But it's lovely. No, I have a large ass, and that's come into fashion, thank God. Um, but for, it'll only be in for 25 minutes, but I'm enjoying it. Um, so I just turned around, and I just thought, I'm going to try this. And I just turned around and went, I'm 13. <laughs> and I stopped walking up the escalator, and he didn't know what to do. Because I think in his eyes, he was looking at me like, are you one of those people with an ageing disease? Like, he just didn't... Because some... You know, there's a whole musical about a teenager who looks like a grown-up, and, and I just... I, I, he just didn't know what to do, so we just stared him out till we got to the top of the escalator, and then he just walked away quickly. Um, so I told this to an audience, and I said, could you all try it? Because I want to do, like, a, a national, nay, global campaign to, like, freak out men who are, like, intimidating women. And so I was so surprised how quickly I got back messages. I told everyone, email guiltyfeminist at gmail.com or slide into my DMs, and people did. I got an amazing message from a woman who said she was catcalled by a man who just went, I would. And she turned around and said, I'm 13. And she said, I'm 24, but admittedly, I do look quite young. And he said, are you okay? I'm worried you're out alone, because it was midnight. He said, I didn't realize and someone might attack you. And I said, well, you could help create an environment where women aren't frightened of being attacked by not shouting out things to intimidate women. And he said, I'm sorry, I was only joking. I just wanted you to know you're fit. And she said, assume women know they're fit. <laughs> and he said, are you really 13? <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> Was that good? It's pretty good. Um, and uh, this is another one. A man sat next to me on the tube uh, when there were other seats available. You know, and you know, in, I don't know if you know Chichester, but in London, that's illegal. <laughs> if, if there's a whole row of seats open, you don't come and sit right next to somebody that's just illegal. It's mm -mm. just how it works. Um, but that wasn't it. That's, you know, it's not actually illegal. It's just not. It's just morally wrong. It should be. Um, but he sat next to me, and uh, a man sat next to me on the tube when there were other seats available and said, where are you going? And I said, I'm 13. <laughs> and that's my mum. And I pointed at another woman on the train the same age as me. <laughs> I'm 35. And the other woman laughed and said, yeah, I am. <laughs> he, he got up and moved to the other end of the carriage and said nothing. But then quickly started looking at his phone. <laughs> it's such a good strategy, isn't so it? Good. Is that funny? It's is that funny? I feel like we can start a global movement. But the only thing is we have to rope the actual 13s in. Yeah. Because otherwise men won't be confused who do this. But I don't know how moral it is to ask 13-year-olds to do it. But then 13-year-olds, they're only saying the truth. What else are they going to say? I'm 13. But I think the blanket policy is, and I don't care how old you are. In yeah. fact, the older you are, the better. <laughs> I'm 13. And you just have to hold it and you never admit that you're not. You never take it back. Yeah. And if they ask for ID, you just say, I'm a child. I don't have ID. <laughs> I think it's a good strategy, guys. I think, I think this is... I think this is 
I think men are going to get so scared to just... So just gonna, scared. Oh, I don't know who's 13 and who's not. I'm just going to leave it. Excellent. I'm a feminist, but the best thing about the Barbie movie was Ryan Gosling. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but I really hope you're proved wrong. <laughs> just give us a have seen the Barbie movie. <laughs> give us a cheer. And, and give a cheer. Mm. Who agrees with me? Okay, it's not as fortified as I, <laughs> as I thought. He was great. He was really funny and brilliant. And I felt bad about it. I felt bad the whole time. Yeah, that I was like, he was on screen. It. And I was like, where is he? Um, yeah, that's why you're confessing. That's why it's a confession. Yes, it is. I've yeah. had two comedians say, I'm a feminist, but I haven't seen the Barbie movie yet. And I'm like, what point of history are we at? <laughs> We're not seeing a movie about Barbie is in any way construed as unfeminist. <laughs> the world is fucked. <laughs> is there any point in trying? Should we all just go to the pub? <laughs> Someone, one person went, yeah. <laughs> Everyone else is like, there. no, feminism. If you think no feminism, just cheer. <laughs> if you want to go to the pub, just cheer. Wow, oh everyone God, is tapped out. You have to have more fortitude <laughs> for feminism than that. You guys are hell. <laughs> no, we're not going to the pub. We're staying in later now. <laughs> this is feminist detention. <laughs> Live from the Chichester Festival Theatre, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Nicola Francis Wright, guest co-host Susan McComa, and the cast and director of the new play, Never Have I Ever, talking about this. Oh my God! Thank you so much. This is our first time in Chichester ever. It, that sounds like you've been waiting for us to come. You're like, where have you been? Um, give us a cheer if you listen to The Guilty Feminist. Give us a cheer if you don't know what you're at. About 50-50. But you will notice that second lot of cheers sounded less empowered. Less feminist, if you will. Don't worry. By the time you've left here tonight, you will be up to the brim with feminism. Lock the doors. It's not a cult. <laughs> I was in a cult when I was younger, and I'm always worried about accidentally starting one. <laughs> it's not going well so far, I'll be honest. Uh, uh, thank you so much for coming out and seeing us here in Chichester at The Guilty Feminist, um, live on the set of The Sound of Music. <laughs> the hills are alive. I mean, I have worn virtually a dirndl for the occasion. <laughs> I am absolutely loving it. I'm loving being on this set. This is a very feminist musical about a woman who escapes from a convent, wraps a very high-status older man around her finger, and then outsmarts some Nazis. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Based on a true story, you guys. Based on a true story. I know a lot about it because once I was in Salzburg and I insisted on going on the, on the Sound of Music tour uh, with my husband... Uh, who only came because it was raining. He honestly said, I'm not coming with you. And then it started raining. I said, are you going to stand in the street in Salzburg in the rain on your own rather than come with me? And he went, oh, all right. But then he ended up loving it because uh, the tour guide was very snarky. And uh, he would say things like, on the left-hand side, you can see a mountain that looks like an elephant. There's something you don't see every day unless you're me. 
And then you do every single day. And Tom got right on board. Um, we got taken to the gazebo, the I am 16 going on 17 gazebo. But you can't do the dance in it because they've locked it up because people get breaking ankles. That's true. That's true. That's the less feminist part of that musical, isn't it? I need someone older and wiser telling me what to do. Fuck off, Nazi. That was a Nazi. That was a Nazi going, oh, I am 17 going on 18. I'll take care of you. By being a Nazi. No. On Nazis, um, we are not allowed to step further forward than here on the stage tonight. Sometimes I come into the audience and touch people with their consent, hashtag consent, it's a feminist show. But we're not allowed to because we've been told that to think of this, I don't know if you can see, there's a huge hole here, to think of it as the patriarchy, and if we step forward, we'll just get sucked into it like that. It's actually, I think, where the children run from the Nazis in the show. I don't know, I imagine. I imagine if the fascists come to the door, we'll all just run down there and hope for the best, sing about our favourite things. Um, But yeah, it's it's very dangerous. So I can't come to you and you can't come to me. But that won't stop me talking to you, um, uh, for anybody who was hoping it would. Um, uh, Just give us a cheer if you think you've got a feminist job. Um, All right. So there's some people there who are very keen about their unfeminist... Yes! Um, uh, Nearly everyone in my audience has a feminist job in one way or the other. I know this because over the years I've done market research. And I'll tell you who my audience is. They divided into three groups... Um, one, people who are doing something sort of directly feminist, um, something in literacy, working with refugees, something with women's services. Um, second group is people who are just generally making the world a better place, climate change, NHS. And the third group is people who are doing PhDs about Virginia Woolf. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Anyone here doing a PhD about Virginia Woolf? Anyone here doing a PhD? Yeah, of course. That's, it's just never happened. that someone is, What's your PhD on? Angela Carter, yeah. So basically the same. So basically the fucking same. Thank you very much. Anyone doing another PhD? Who else is doing a PhD? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm going to be a feminist doctor. Uh, what's yours on? Climate change, of course. That's the double, baby. That's the double. That's, you, are, you are straddling my Venn diagram of audience. You know, I'll tell you what, Ricky Gervais can't throw a paper plane and think, oh, I'll hit someone, will change the world. And I had someone in the audience the other night who said, oh, my PhD is in curing cancer. I honestly think the average guilty feminist audience, we could just lock the doors and fix 25% of the world's problems within about 48 hours. <laughs> we will not lock the doors. We understand how it works. But also, the sound of music people would be in, <laughs> just singing over the top of us. Um, Climb every mountain. Mind you, that might inspire us. Um, who else? Who else is doing a PhD? What's yours in? Oceanography. So you're saving the world in another way. Are you saving the oceans? Kind of. Okay, I'm going to ask you, and I want you to answer the way a man would answer if he was doing a BA or a Bachelor of Science in in oceanography. Uh, So are you saving the world in a different way? Definitely, thank you very much. Um, that's right, that's right. Uh, what particular part of oceanography are you doing? Coral reefs, so you really are saving the world. Coral reefs, because that's the whole thing, isn't it? Coral reefs, if coral reefs go, we don't know what will happen, they say. Coral reefs, because uh, they provide the life for the ocean. Is that true? Yeah. What was that? 25% of marine biodiversity is in coral, so if you don't save it, 
It's a lot of pressure, isn't it? <laughs> Puts into perspective what we all do, except for that one who's doing the environment. It's, yeah. Anybody think they've got a more feminist job or an, another feminist job? One, two, three. Yes. What's yours? The chair of Chichester Labour Party. Lucking up. Um, do you ever get to talk to Keir Starmer? Because I've got some things to say. <laughs> he's my MP, but you might have more access. I don't know. He's, he is my MP. He, he's, he's, he's a... Come to conference. I am coming to the conference. I'm doing some kind of amnesty thing there. I'm doing an amnesty event at the conference that apparently he's invited to. So I will be saying some things about human rights. Um, I mean, how, how, I mean, this is probably a conversation for the bar. <laughs> but I would like to chat to you about how you think it's all going. If Labour get in, as I very much hope they do, how much do you think the horror will shift? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm just a bit worried that he's not going, yes, we will overturn the immigration bill. Yes, we will overturn the policing bill. Yes, we will allow you to be noisy and annoying at a protest. Just the fucking definition of a protest. <laughs> a quiet calming, unirritating protest is just afternoon tea. I don't understand what they think a protest is. It's an inconvenient noise. Jesus fucking Christ. And I don't feel Keir Starmer saying the right things to me at the moment. Not directly to me. I don't WhatsApp him. But, but do you have his WhatsApp? Because I would like it. Join me to a group. I promise to be... I don't promise anything, honestly. I just... I couldn't get it out. I couldn't get it out. Um, but, but you feel, I mean, it's got to be somewhat better, hasn't it? Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, if you were listening at home, uh, the, oh, sorry, I don't know what your name is. What's your name? Claire said, it's going to be better. It has to be better, but let's not pretend because they fucked us all. Is that correct? And not in a good way. <laughs> Yes, I've had more comfortable fucks, I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rebuilding process. Okay, well, let's hope. Uh, anybody think they've got an unfeminist job? Give us a cheer. Yes, there were more last time. Now I'm talking directly to you. People are taking it back. Um, well, who's the woo-hoo there? Um, I'm a professional celebrant. A professional celebrant doing weddings and funerals. Why is that unfeminist? It's not very feminist. Why? Well, some, we've all got to have a funeral. <laughs> I mean, it's my, it's my woman's right to have a funeral, isn't it? <laughs> and if I wish to get married, do you think that the idea of marriage is a bit outdated? Or you just think it's... I think, I think that people, people are looking for some form of ceremony Okay, you're thinking people are looking for some form of ceremony, but it might be more feminist not to have any ceremony at all and just... To live in, live in, make your commitment daily. Yes. Okay, we'll stop then. <laughs> um, is it just how you make your living? You enjoy the fun and you like people doing what they want to do and having the fun. It's better than being a head teacher. <laughs> I feel there's a story there. Is that what you were doing before? Oh, okay. So now you just do the bit where you call everyone to attention, but this time they fucking listen. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Anyone else got an unfeminist job? I don't think that's an unfeminist job. I think that's... Yes, you've got an actual... Can you, can you be more unfeminist than that? Yes? Unfortunately, I've also 
You work for a capitalist organization in Washington, D.C. that takes away jobs from women. Oh, they've turned. Come on, come on. I don't want to assume your pronouns are you. She? She. Um, what's your name? Liz Ree. Liz Ree with an N. Where's the N? Oh, Nisri. Nisri. Okay, thank you. I thought Liz, Liz Ree with an N. That's a silent N. <laughs> In which case, why are we mentioning it? Um, Nisri. Nisri. Oh, you've got a mic there now. Well done. Thank you very much. Uh, so can you give the mic to Nisri with an N? No. I mean, it is an unusual name. I would have used a pseudonym. I mean, if I were you. If I were called Nisri, I'd just always stand and practice pseudonym, surely. Okay. Um, Nisri with an N? Yes, that's me. Okay, great. Um, so what, how does it take jobs away from women? Well, um, I work for the International Monetary Fund, and it is a capitalist organization that funds... Sounds like it, yeah. Yes. Uh, a lot of governments, and their money doesn't really go to protect jobs. It goes to protect women. I see, I see. And can I ask you this? In that role, do you do any stealth feminism? I do a lot. <laughs> do you? Do a lot all the time. A lot all the time, and this is what I find. This is what I find. Invariably, women who say, no, 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 my job's not feminist, are doing secret Trojan horse feminism. And they stay in the role, because can you give us an example of some secret Trojan horse feminism you're doing? So when the economists like me, PhD economists, uh, go to countries, very small countries, like Niger at the moment, which has coup, we actually end up meeting with non-government organizations labor unions, feminist organizations, and we tell them a lot of secrets. <gasps> to talk to governments. Oh, my gosh. Not so you're a feminist spy. I know. <laughs> you're a feminist spy. We really do arm them with a lot of information so then they can go and talk to their governments. And they oh, my God. Them. Amazing. You're like James Bond, but good. <laughs> Israel, I'm loving that. Is it okay to put your name on the podcast? We can do another take for the recording where you say your name is like Alice. I'm trying to get everybody in DC to listen to your podcast. Oh, good luck. I don't mind. You can put my name. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll come, when you've got enough of them listening, just email me at guiltyfeminist.gmail.com and we'll come and do a show there. We've done one tour of America just before the pandemic and then we couldn't do any more and we, then I got busy doing other things. But I do want to come back and then we'll come to DC. But we'll connect directly with you. Maybe you can be a guest on the show and talk about all your stealth. I would absolutely love to. I'm not very interested in constantly preaching. To the, you have to preach to the choir to keep the choir like motivated, but I also do want to talk to the devil. <laughs> so I'm in. I'm right there. I'm right there in with you. Um, uh, and do you want to do another take where you give a different name, or are you okay no, with your I real really name? I don't mind. I'm, 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 I want to get quiet. <laughs> I want to get far. I mean, the hills are alive. You're like Maria von Trapp. She wanted to get fired too. She was always late. She was always up a mountain <laughs> thinking about a boy going, my days are numbered at this convent, let's be honest. I'm not marrying Jesus. Um, let's be honest. Let's be honest. She was never going to marry Jesus. Um, all right. Um, well, I'm loving that. Thank you so much for coming out live, and it's time to start the show. Would you like to meet my incredible co-pilot for this evening? She's one of my very favorites, and I know one of your very favorites, too. If you listen to The Guilty Feminist, put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises, break laws if necessary, to welcome the wonderful Susan McCormack! 
can't take a seat, Susan. I know, I can't. Hi, everybody. How <laughs> oh, stop it, fans. Fans, I fans. I hope you're all coming to the play. Are you all coming to the play we're doing here? Does everyone Good. know there's a play? Just cheer if you don't know there's a play here. Excellent. This you're side. The, yeah. <laughs> you're the ones we can sell tickets to. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, so, Susan, yes. are, how are you enjoying Chichester so far? You've not been here long. I haven't been here. I've been here since 6pm yesterday. And so far, everyone's been super friendly. Um, there was that man that we saw. Oh, yes. Really, really late. We were sort of talking amongst ourselves, going, um, oh, where is the theatre? And this man out of nowhere, it's around 10pm. We was thought like, he was going to hit on us. I thought, we, yeah. We're we from London. Think. We're from London, which... We assumed he was going to steal our bag or hit on us, but what did he do? He went... Um, the theatre is just down this way. And we both were just stunned. We were just Looking like, at... what do you want? And he was like, I, I want to help you. Yeah. So, we... um, yeah, so as long as it keeps on, on that train, I'm, I'm delighted. Yeah. He was a lovely, friendly, local Chichester man. Is it always like that here? Yeah. Oh, Aww. well, we'll stay. <laughs> we're contractually obliged to anyway, but, but we now want to as well. <laughs> is this a town of high achievers? <laughs> Because you just never know how it's going to go. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the town of the most high achievers I've ever been to. Where? You remember when we did the RSC? I don't know if you... Did you... Were you with us? I don't think you were. We did the RSC at Stratford. No. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell, man. That that felt like a laugh of rivalry. That's what that... (laughs) So, yeah. Stratford upon Avon. I'll tell you. It's just a town full of head girls. Now, (laughs) I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. Um, But I'm interested to see how you measure up. Um, it's true. People always leave comedy shows going, oh, I liked that one. I thought that one was good and that one... Did. But what you need to know is comedians also judge audiences. You go away going, mm, they weren't as good as Portsmouth. <laughs> oh, now, you, now you've gone and done it. Now you've gone and I done it. I won't be saying that about you. I'll be saying they left Portsmouth in the dust, obviously. Tom, can you cut that out? I don't want Portsmouth hearing and taking out on me when I go back there. <laughs> Uh, so, oh, I should say, <clears throat> uh, this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities, which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White, with me is Susan McComa, and tonight we are talking about uh, the themes and our feminist themes of our new play, Never Have I Ever, um, which we will be performing here in Chichester, but we're having a deep dive feminist discussion, but not before we've had some ridiculous lols. Okay, uh, so first, would you like to see some stand-up comedy? <laughs> then please welcome to the stage the incredible Susan Wakoma! Oi, oi. Okay, um, I, as, if you've listened to the podcast before and heard me on it, you know that I'm not, I'm not a stand-up comedian per se. What I tend to do is just... Uh, get on stage and tell you about all my really embarrassing life stories and then I meet people um, on the street who go, hey, uh, you've got massive fanny lips. That's happened. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's something we discussed. Body positivity. But I genuinely had someone say, yeah, you're the one who... Yeah, anyway, I've said it. I'm not going to say it twice. (laughs) I'm not going to say it twice. Uh, (laughs) Now you all know that. Um... (laughs) Every time. I'm a serious somebody. Um, so it's been a year. It's been about a year since I last co-hosted. I think the last one was at the Wilderness Festival a year ago. Um, it was very fun. Really, really fun. And, and yeah, and I love coming back. Um, I love coming back because I feel like 
the podcast is kind of my barometer of of um, of, of making good decisions. It keeps me in check. I meet you guys, and you inspire me, and you make me laugh, and uh, you're brilliant, and you, you're very nice to me. Um, and every time I'm away from it, I, I find myself making either uh, rash decisions or sometimes uh, some questionable ones. So I was thinking last night about some of the things I've done in this year, and uh, I'm just going to do a roll call. Uh, number one, I fell in love twice. Uh, which probably means that I wasn't in love, was it? Uh, <laughs> one was with a jazz musician for a month, and the other one was with a dancer for three months. So it wasn't love. It wasn't love, but it felt like it. So that was bad. Don't do that. Um, second thing that I did, I got my nipple pierced twice. Um, uh, not, and not each one, the same one. I'll, I'll walk you through it. Firstly, by sound of whoops, who has a nipple piercing? Okay, on a scale of uh, one to ten, just shout the number. How painful it is? Is it like ten being really painful? Did someone say two? <laughs> you absolute badass! I wept like a baby when they did it twice. So basically, the first time I went, I've wanted one for, for years. I, I think they're beautiful and great. And Rihanna has one. Um, so <laughs> yeah, Rihanna also had a mullet. I did that. Um, I did that as well. So I've really, I've always wanted one, but I've always been told it's really, really painful, super painful. Um, but I thought, no, I'm, I'm 34. I'm going to do this. So I went in somewhere really, really posh. And, you know, I was going to spend the money. I was going to do it right. And uh, the person who was assigned, it was a woman. It was a woman uh, who was assigned to do my piercing. The moment I looked at her, I went, uh-oh. You know, someone who's just like Charlie Chaplin. She sort of walked in the, the little piercing room like, whoa, 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 oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm just going to get the needle. I was like, oh my God, Susan, just get out. Like, it's, it's that very, very British thing when somebody gives you like a shit mince pie and you eat it anyway. And you say thank you as well. And you're not having a good time. That was basically what I did with my piercing. Um, so she sort of arrived and she tripped up and she was genuinely, I'm not even joking, she was really, really kind of all over the place. Um, but I, I lay there and, um, and she did it. And, and one side looked great, uh, that sort of entrance point of the, of the needle. The other side was just skew whiff. It was like pointing up to me through my, um, through my areola. So uh, that's not what they're meant to look like. I looked down at that and I thought, that's going to cause me some problems. Um, but I paid her. I did a curtsy. <laughs> and I left. And then three months later, I went back and they were like, you're going to have to take that out. And so we took it out and I got it done again. And I'm happy to report that it is in a straight line. So, uh, so but yeah, that was painful. Um, the other rash thing that I did was I agreed to do Taskmaster. <laughs> I did. I did. It's not out yet. Don't worry. If you're all like, I haven't seen you, it's because it's later um, next month. Um, uh, I'm, again, not a comedian, but they asked me and I was like, that'll be fun. And it was. It was the best time of my life. I can't talk too much about it, but um, if anybody is familiar with the show, there's a point where all the, all the contestants are sort of sat and you're watching clips of yourself. And, um, and I always thought that I was, I don't know about you guys, but I always thought that I was like a really smart, I don't know, sexy, sensual, incredible, sensible person. And I was just watching these VT clips of myself like who the fuck is that? 
just yelling and leaping like I was Tigger, going, yay, yay, yeah, I, I just want to punch myself in the face. So, um, so yeah, I now know um, that I'm not any of the things that I, I thought I was, so that was good. And that'll be on national television forever. So that's good. Um, and then the other rush thing that I decided to do was I decided to freeze my eggs. Yeah, go me. Choices, choices. Um, by Sound of Whoops, who else has, chose, has frozen their eggs? If you want to share that information, by Sound of Whoops. Okay, all right, all right. Um, it's, it's something, isn't it? It is quite a process. Now, I've, I've never been... I've never been one for children. I love kids, but me, myself, I never ever really saw myself becoming a mother. But what happened last year is that I had about four girlfriends all decide, I want to be a mother, the time is now, and they've all done it solo. They've all done it solo. And it was a really, really beautiful thing to be a part of, to witness, because you were seeing these women who knew it was their calling. And that's the thing that I've always struggled when it comes to, to parenthood is, you know, people sort of going, the next step is kids. And I'm like, that's a lot. Because you're bringing a whole human being into the world. Like, the idea that someone sees it as a vocation was really, really beautiful and moving to me. And it made me think, you know, that's kind of how I would do it. I'd want to feel like it was my vocation and the thing that I needed to do. So within two weeks, I decided to freeze my ex because um, would you trust that person with a baby? I don't think I would, but I was like, sure, let's do it. I've got no dependents yet. Uh, so I went along to the clinic and uh, I met this doctor. Uh, he was fit. He was so fit. He was so fit. And he was there mansplaining to me about my anatomy. And I was like, fair fucks, because I knew nothing out I know nothing about my body that's crazy so mad um okay uh one fact this is the fact that blew my mind and actually I think quite a lot of people knew this but I didn't did you know that you are born with all the eggs you'll ever have right it's just me then Again, see, you all were like, Susan, you should definitely have kids. You're so wonderful. No, because I'm sick as pig shit. So probably a good idea that I'm not doing it. But, um, but yeah, I never knew that, which means I was like, sat there as this really fit doctor was telling me. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. So that means that when my grandmother was a little baby, the egg that would become my mother was inside my grandmother baby person. And I thought, ah, oh, that explains generational trauma <laughs> passed down from the women. So, um, so anyway, so I had my consultation and I, and I thought, yeah, like, I'm ready to do this. I think that this is a really smart thing to do. I'm in my 30s. And so uh, you have loads of scans. You make sure that everything's okay. And then you start the injections. And these injections are to stimulate um, the follicles in each of your ovaries. So when you normally have your period, it's just one follicle, one egg, bish, bash, bosh, it's gone. But this time, they're trying to stimulate as many as possible. So that means a lot of chemicals. A lot of chemicals, a lot of hormones. Um, yeah, we all know what's, what's coming. Um, but I did my first injection just before the Comedy Awards. I don't know if anybody's seen the Comedy Awards on television. I was, I was on there, and uh, I won an award, Best Breakthrough Star. Yes, I've been on television. Yeah. 
like you. I've been on television since I was 14. I'm 35. But we're breaking through, baby. <laughs> oh, not better, not better. Uh, I shared it with Lenny Rush, who is legitimately 13. So, yeah, no, it's cool. It's cool, it's cool. Um, so I did my injections, got dressed up, went to the Comedy Awards, and I felt powerful. Because you've got to do these self-administered injections. And I'm pretty good with needles, but I was like, yeah, God, I'm just a boss woman. Look at me go in, and no one knows. Nobody knows what I'm doing. I'm taking control of my life. Um, a week later, one week later, I was stood in a little car park screaming at a trolley. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I tripped... I tripped over the trolley, I turned to it and I started screaming. That is what this does to you. <laughs> That's what it does to you. And then also, so whilst you're doing these injections, you have these scans every other day. So you've really got to clear your diary. You've really got to just commit to having all these scans. And Fit Doctor told me um, about my anatomy a little bit more. He was like, oh, your left ovary is quite hidden. And I was like, should I be scared? <laughs> And he was like, no, 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 everybody's bodies are different. And, and your left ovary is kind of, it's just a little bit just sort of hiding. And I was like, oh, my God, have I got a kooky left ovary? That's just hiding, just hiding. Um, and so what he needed to do in order to get the, the scan of it is that he just had to gently encourage it um, interview, which meant, oh, has anyone had their ovary pushed <laughs> by a man? <laughs> It's the most painful thing. It was so painful. It was so painful that when he did it, I farted. <laughs> then blacked out. <laughs> Can you see what I meant about embarrassing myself? Someone's going to come to me, oh, you farted. And then black out. Like, yeah, that's me. Um, so I don't know if anybody's fainted. Anybody's fainted before. Imagine you're about to faint and the last thing you, you hear is your own fart. That's what happened. <laughs> like, oh, oh my God. Oh, done. Thick doctor's looking at me. Um, so that was good. That was really, really good. Um, and then also one thing, one thing, like big thing that they say. Okay, you're going to be injecting all this stuff into you. You're going to be creating all these amazing follicles with all these eggs. What we have to stress, Fit Doctor's telling me this, what we have to stress, Susan, is that you must refrain from having sex. You must. Because think about it. If you're developing all these eggs at the same time, you go and have sex, you might have a litter. <laughs> like a dog. <laughs> and for someone so on the fence, imagine me being like, I got ten. Uh... <laughs> I guess we're the Von Trapps now. Let's do this. So I, I had to be careful. But you know what? I'm the kind of person that if you tell me not to do something, all I want to do is that bloody thing. I didn't because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not willing to ruin my life. I didn't do it. But I was very horny. So that meant that I was just walking around London screaming at trolleys being really horny. I remember I was sat at a bus stop and uh, I saw two pigeons <laughs> getting it on. You know, when they get very big and just a bit creepy and they're just like... <laughs> and I was watching them and I got jealous. <laughs> got jealous watching two pigeons. I was like, oh gosh, 
Uh, that'll never happen to me. So, yes, so I did, so I did that. And then, as soon as I got to sort of voyeuristic pigeon <laughs> sex time, it was around that time that I was due my egg retrieval. So, you get put under general anaesthetic and uh, have the retrieval. It all went really well. I was very, very looked after. And I thought, as I was coming, coming to, and I was lying there and thinking, gosh, you know, this is... It was very emotional. I'm joking about it, but it was a very, very emotional thing. You're thinking a lot about kind of your own childhood, your experiences, the why. Why don't I have this calling? You know, why have I put myself through this? Why have I spent all this money? Like, you know, you're thinking all these things. And I just thought, you know, okay, yes, this was a very rash decision. One that I am very lucky that I can financially make. I know that there are loads of people who would love to have this process so desperately and they can't, and I acknowledge my privilege. But I just thought, you know what? Even if I decide that motherhood isn't for me, I know that there is a desperate lack of eggs for people who wish to have black or mixed race children. And so I know that even though this has been rash and a little bit crazy and I've been watching pigeons from bus stops, I know that if it isn't my destiny, I will donate these eggs to people who it's their calling to be parents. Thank you so much for listening to Just That. Susan Recover, everybody! Wow. That puts a whole new spin on the term pigeon fancier. <laughs> I didn't but, even know that was a term. Yeah. But I love the idea of you Watching giving... pigeons. Well, no, giving, <laughs> giving your eggs away yeah. to people who need eggs. But then there'll be like little Susan McComas running around. I know. And just from the evidence I've given from my lack of just general knowledge, that's not a great thing, is it? No, it is. <laughs> we would need more Susan McComas in the world, in my opinion. Um, there you go. See, the Chichester audience concur. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details mom deserves better than a drugstore card this mother's day surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. add your favorite photos a heartfelt message and we'll even mail it for you the same day all for just five dollars from mom to grandma we have something to celebrate every mom in your life every mom deserves a Moonpig card Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. We're recording more live episodes of The Guilty Feminist and Global Pillage at the London Podcast Festival on Saturday the 16th and Sunday the 17th of September. For tickets to any of these, go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on Live Shows. Except if you want to go to the play, and then I want you to go to cft.org.uk. You can also get ad-free episodes via Patreon, Apple Podcasts, or Acast Plus. And if you're passing iTunes or Spotify and you felt like leaving us a five-star review, we'd love you forever. It really does help people find the podcast, as does subscribing or following. And now, back to the podcast. Hello, Chichester. Are you ready for a little bit more Guilty Feminist? Then please welcome to the stage your hosts, Deborah Francis-White and Susan McComa. Hello, 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 and welcome back. Did you have a good interval? Did you meet any feminists that you didn't hadn't met before? Excellent, excellent, good. Was that you, Lot? Did you? It meet was somebody? Lot, wasn't it? Lot, did you meet somebody? Who did you meet? <laughs> Are you here to pick up women, I... Lot? Because if so, good strategy. Did I you... knew, I knew that you meant that you meant it that way when we went. Did you meet anyone? You went, yeah. <laughs> Did you yeah. get your phone numbers, Lot? <laughs> he did. Lot, just cheer if Lot got your phone number. Oh. Ah! Is Lot fit? What? Yeah, he's fit. Uh, okay. Someone just shoot their shot there. Mm. Yeah, he is. Well done, mate. Okay, well done, fit Lot. Um, <laughs> all right, we've got to bring out our guests. We um, do. Our guests today are the director and cast of the new play, Never Have I Ever, which is... To play what I wrote. Please welcome to the stage Emma Butler, Amit Shah, and Greg Wise. I need to say Alexandra Roach wasn't feeling well tonight and she's got to keep herself well for the play so she hasn't come but she did send an I'm a feminist Bart which is true she said I'm a feminist Bart when I was a teenager I got nominated to, as the sort of like a junior voice of my local council <laughs> because I'd written a letter campaigning for a Claire's accessories <laughs> and she said the irony is there still isn't a Claire's accessories in my hometown but I'm still campaigning um, which is wonderful. Um, does anyone else here on the panel have an I'm a feminist butt that they'd like to offer? No obligation, but if you'd like to. Amit, you look like you want to. Primed. No. It's a bit risky, but... Uh, Go I'm for deliberate. it, Amit. Roll that dice. <laughs> well, maybe it's not. You'll, la you'll laugh. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. Um, I'm a feminist. <laughs> um, I'm a feminist... But I think men should be allowed to sit down when they pee as well. <laughs> I, no, I, but for two reasons. For two reasons. Um, it's more comfortable. It, uh, no, three reasons. It's more comfortable. You thought of the third it, reason on the fly there. It's, okay, it's probably healthier for you. And also, if you can't aim, sit down. Yes. Yeah? Good point, good point. I've spent most of my childhood wiping up old men's piss. 
of the floor. Most if of you... your childhood. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard of so that before. Was that like child labour? Are you Victorian? <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just bothers me. If I see urine on the floor, I need to wipe it up. And it's probably <laughs> men who can't aim properly. Mm. Yeah, so no, I hear that. I guys, hear that. just sit down. Yeah. <laughs> I, listen, I don't see why men can't and don't. I mean, I, I know that the whole with this, the thing with the urinals is it's, it's you. You, you get through, sit down. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Emma, Emma, have I you do. got one? Please have one. <laughs> Quick. I am a feminist, but the first time I met Deborah Francis White, I worried more about what I was going to wear than what I was going to say. <laughs> But you did look fine. And also, what you said was, shall we do a play together? And now we're doing a play together. So, Hooray. Uh, <laughs> Greg, do you have anything? Uh, I'm a feminist, but I had to phone my wife for her to tell me what to say. Oh! <laughs> what did she say? Are you a feminist? <laughs> oh! He is, he is. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, well, we've done our I'm a Feminist Butts then in that case, so we should probably talk about um, the themes of this play. Um, we're going to try and give you no spoilers, uh, but we can set you up. I'm trying to do an elevator pitch for this play because people ask me what it's about, so let me try. Um, so it's about uh, a couple played by Amit Shah and Alexandra Roach who have a restaurant, and uh, another couple is coming for dinner on night when the restaurant would otherwise be closed, and that couple is Susan McComer and Greg Wise. And uh, Greg Wise's character has invested in the restaurant and uh, Amit's character and Alexandra's character have to tell Greg's character that the, uh, the, the, they, they've gone bankrupt, basically, and he's not going to get his money back. And uh, they're very worried about doing that. But Greg's character, Tobin, his reaction is not what you'd think. Um, and pretty soon they start playing a, uh, a drinking game that they used to play at university because they all went to university together. And you know how those old friendships have, like, secrets in them? Ooh. <laughs> you all got old friendships with secrets. Yeah. And the play... And, and you shouldn't play... There's a drinking game called Never Have I Ever. Just give us a cheer if you've played it. <laughs> yeah. Just give us a cheer if it's got you into trouble in some way. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know what this play is then. Uh, so, and the play is about uh, sex and uh, money and friendship and love and identity, class, all sorts. Um, and so that's the idea of the play. It's a lot of fun. Um, you're like the fifth dinner party guest and uh, there's drinking, there's snogging, there's dancing, there's fun, there's lols, uh, but also there's drama, tension, feminism, twists, turns and agony. Um, is that is that you say correct? agony? Yeah, agony. I'd say agony. <laughs> agony and ecstasy. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Brilliant. I'm in emotional agony. You don't have to watch someone dismembered or anything. It's not one of those Martin McDonough's. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, first of all, um, why don't we go to Emma? Because, Emma, you are the director of this play, and you it sort of instigated the whole project. I did. I was, am, massive fan of The Guilty Feminist, and heard Deborah do some new writing on the podcast. I had some money for a workshop and uh, emailed her via her agent and said, hey, I've got some money for a workshop. Have you got a play? I'd love to work with you. And she emailed back and said yes. And um, I and didn't we... know. That was a lie. I just had an idea for a play. <laughs> but I thought I can write really fast if I have an embarrassing deadline. 
because I've ADHD and uh, I read something today actually said with ADHD the good news is I can work really fast uh, to a deadline the bad news is I can't work at all if not I mean this is entirely true never have you ever met somebody who writes as fast as Deborah Francis White <laughs> with the first workshop we did we'd come in on day, the next day and have an entirely new script she would have written 50 pages overnight so She's not lying. <laughs> That's probably a slight exaggeration. Maybe 15 pages, but no, I... I was there. It was, it was 50. It was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can write really... I can go down like a rabbit hole and if I stay up all night and, you know, that kind of thing. But I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for you. And I just had this idea kicking around in my head for a while about what if this happened and the themes that would go with it. And, uh, but you were able to evolve those themes. You were a resident director at the Almeida at the time. Yes, uh, which is who gave me the money and uh, kind of facilitated the whole workshop in the first place. And we chatted a lot for several months and kind of developed what we thought it might be um, together. And then Deborah wrote it overnight. And then we <laughs> did uh, a workshop and took lots of voices from the people in the workshop. And we've been developing it since. And now we're here. Um, Susan, I wrote the part of A Day Go For You. You did. Hope um, you don't regret it. <laughs> not at all. Do you remember the conversation when I phoned you and said I've written your part? Do you remember it? Um, I don't remember it, but I really love it when you, when you say it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened. I rang Susan and said, I've written a part for you. It's a workshop at the Armida. And uh, Susan said, uh, what's the part? I said, she's posh. She said, I'll do it. <laughs> said, I never get asked to play posh. I've never been asked to play posh before. Um, but a lot, of the, a lot of the black women I know went to Wickham Abbey or something or St. Paul's. Yeah. And I didn't see a lot of that on the screen or on the stage. Yeah. And so I was really interested in writing about the intersection of race and class and gender and all sorts of different things. And uh, you've been absolutely amazing in helping develop the work along with the creative team. Uh, that have black people on it because, you know, obviously we did not want you to be the only voice, but it's mm. been a real privilege to write because you've been very, very open and you give very fast feedback about what I'm getting wrong as a... <laughs> as you, a made that, you made that out like no. a word. No, boo! <laughs> like, okay, also, here's an idea. I'm like, boo, shut up! <laughs> I don't do that. No, no. I, the thing that's been really great, <laughs> I really don't. I'm getting right as well, but what I'm getting wrong... I don't know, but the thing that's been really great is I am really completely working class. And so that's why I said yes, because it's, you know, I love traveling towards a character and finding out loads about that person and having to change in that way rather than playing things that are very, very close to me. And I just had a run of playing characters that I understood the moment I read it. And that was, I didn't feel like I was getting better. As, a, as an actor, I thought that I was fine. I thought that I was a safe pair of hands. And, um, You're and a just great big fuck off star, but continue. Oh, <laughs> See, this is why I was like, I love it when you tell it because you say <laughs> shit like that. But, um, but no, so th that's the reason why I said yes, because I just wanted to, to travel somewhere and not sort of always be so all knowing. Of course, there are things that I understand about the character, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you have been very instrumental in development. You've been with it from the beginning. When we were lucky enough to get. Chichester Festival Theatre to say they'd produce it, Greg, you were the next person on board. Um, so we sent the script to you in hope um, that... No, you stalked me. Okay, Deb. all right. <laughs> that might have happened. You stalked me. I got quite scared. <laughs> I wasn't sitting out the front of your house in a van, <laughs> which is what you make it sound like. How did I stalk you? No, you uh, Let you... me count the ways. <laughs> no, it was... 
I'd done my last play, I think, eight years ago. And before that, it had been 17 years. Oh, fuck, bloody hell, really? So... <laughs> Even though I'm actually 13. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Because um, it all has to be, it's always, the decision is always made on the writing. Uh, and I honestly thought after the last play, that's it, I'll never do another play again. And then um, the stalker turns up. Uh, and actually, I got my dear lady wife to read it first, who's a very good chum of yours as well. And she just read it and went, Hmm. <laughs> I didn't have to read it. I could say yes. Just because. So you didn't read it before you said yes? No, of course oh I God, read it. Just, <laughs> God, I just had a horrible thought that yeah. you just went, and then I signed on, and then I read yeah. it and went, oh, shit. <laughs> no, um, I knew you read it before you said yes. I'm kidding. It's always, it's always writing. And, and, and one of the things now, as a, as a mature 13-year-old, I, <laughs> I only want to do things now that scare me. Mm. And this absolutely fucking terrifies me. <laughs> That's interesting. Why does it terrify you? Oh, Dad, shut up. You know why it terrifies you. Because I'm a feminist, but I'm playing a part that Debs wrote, who isn't, by quite a long way. And it's exposing, and I find myself, there's only four of us on stage, from quite early on in the play, the dynamic shifts to me versus the world. Um, which is obviously, uh, I'm used to that being part of the patriarchy. <laughs> uh, but it's, um, I get to say things that, are, that, are, that, are, that don't sit easily in my mm. mouth, which is great, mm. but it's scary. I mean, the thing is, Tobin, your character, he thinks he's a feminist, and when he starts the play, he thinks he's a feminist, but things come out and there's twists and turns around it. But he's not someone who overtly comes on going, Ooh, I'm an MRA. You know, like he he thinks he's a he thinks he would identify as a feminist. He's he's part of the crowd now who are hyper confused as to where they are mm. because all the structures upon which everything was hung throughout one's childhood, schooling, adult life, and work have all all mm. what the Scots would say everything's on a sugarly peg. Now, mm. you put your hat on a sugarly peg and your hat falls on the floor. Um, so there's nothing, there's nothing to hang anything on anymore. So he's mm. desperately trying through his much younger wife um, to, to, to try and learn the right things now to say and the right things to be um, and says the things without necessarily the belief and the commitment backing them, but talks the talk very well. Mm. until the moment where he stops talking the talk, mm -hmm. which is where the drama sits. Mm. I didn't know if you know that as the playwright. Yes, no, no. <laughs> no She's I'm sitting there going, really? <laughs> I, I never knew. No, no, no. I was just, I was, I was so interested because we haven't really had this conversation, so I was becoming mesmerised <laughs> uh, by, by what you were saying, and, and I was just very interested in you know, your POV on it because you're playing that character, and I'm fascinated by what actors do where they inhabit a character, because I occasionally do a bit of acting, but honestly, it's when someone sort of says, I've written this part for you, and I go, no, I'll get a real actor, and I'll go, no, you'll be really good. And uh, The best way to get acting work is to claim you're not an actor and insist that you wouldn't be very good, because then people go, 
well, no, you're questioning my judgment. I know you'd be great in this. So very occasionally I do a bit, but it's always a heightened version of me. And I, I'm not somebody who can inhabit a character the way the four absolutely brilliant, very experienced, very talented actors in this play can. And it really fascinates me just getting into the skin of somebody who maybe you don't have a lot in common with. And what do you do? And I've learned a lot from Emma about how to talk to actors and how to listen to actors. And But what is exciting is then you can really hot seat the character. You can write a character on a page and then the actor brings the character to life and then you can say to the character, what would you do in this situation? And the character can answer, which is so thrilling and exciting. But what's great is that you let us, you let us do that, Deb. So a lot of times in rehearsal rooms, if it's a new play, um, we wouldn't always, definitely not in my experience, have the playwright there or it can be kind of quite restrictive and sometimes that's great it's a nice kind of this is what it is and do this um but with you because you're just naturally really collaborative and I think that's because of all the improv that you and, and Tom have done over the years it means that you do gift it to us which is really incredibly generous and not uh not the norm I think we're all aware of that I can't imagine any playwright not wanting to listen to the actors so brilliantly inhabiting the characters and bringing them to life in the way that you are because you know more than I do what Tobin would do or what Adego would do or in fact what Cass would do um, Amit can you talk a bit about what uh, what your uh, you know uh, uh, how you came to be working on this play and how it is for you sorry how, how I became yeah, or just, just how you... What? Yeah, just say something about being Kaz. <laughs> what a good question, Deborah. I've been doing this show uh, for seven years. Talk! <laughs> well, I was last to come on board. I was so late that there's posters around with someone else on them. Uh, the uh, current posters uh, have you on them. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> uh, I remember being sent the script uh, by my agent and I read it and I said, do whatever you can to get me in this. And we didn't hear anything. <laughs> and uh, then she came back and said, we haven't heard anything, so I think they've moved on. I said, okay. And, and during this time, I was communicating with Alex because I'd worked with Alex. I've, I've also worked with Susie and, and Greg too. But, uh, but but you chose Alex. <laughs> that's all. That's all I bloody interesting, heard. Interesting. Oh, so no, carry on, carry on, carry on. Well, Greg, well, well, I Greg wasn't sure was Greg remembered me, and Susie, we I don't know. Why. No, we didn't actually work together that much. It was one scene in Crash, two scenes in Crash. Two scenes in Crash, where you were drawing penises. I was drawing penises. <laughs> yes. Well, Greg, <laughs> that's what she, Greg, she was like. Well, do you want to play posh? As yes. soon as we, as Greg came on board, he was saying Amit Shah needs to be in this role. Oh, that's very kind. Mm. Thanks, so Greg, Greg did remember the first you. thing I said. To everyone, forever. <laughs> yeah. Have you asked Amit? Yeah. yeah. Greg was saying this time, so Greg definitely not only remembered you, but remembered to cast you. Oh, well, I'm, I'm forever grateful. Thank you. Uh, and then it happened. Uh, and, well, I, I met Emma first, and we had a lovely chat, didn't we, at the National? Yep. And, yes, that's true. And I can confirm that happened. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a real joy, because Deb... Uh, really does make this a collaborative experience. She does use her actors <laughs> as much as possible and writes around us if there are any rewrites to be done or tweaks. And it's been really enjoyable. And um, it's been great to reconnect with Susie and then Greg and Alex. And we're a bit of a family now, aren't we? 
I love it. I'm, I'm genuinely having a lovely time. Uh, even, even when I'm totally anxious and depressed, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that process. Aaron, we've decided Aaron is the loveliest man in the world, and we, we're, we adore... I mean, present company accepted, obviously. <laughs> Joint loveliest men in the world. But even Greg has said Aaron's the loveliest man in the world. Yep. He is, isn't he? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but yeah, he, uh, Kaz is written as a people pleaser. Uh, you, you also said uh, in the stage directions he's got impressive hair. Um, which, but I'm thinning on the top, and I've started oh, to I'm use this uh, regain mousse. <laughs> I've been using Not it. For, no, no, genuinely, I've been using it for about two months, but it apparently takes about a year for it to work. <laughs> can, can you see? Look, it's there. <laughs> I can't. I can't really see Amit if I'm honest. Are you serious? No, like, it. it you, look, you look. It's very, not. You know. It's not. Thinning. You know, there's, lots of, there's lots of hair. It's not. It's not. When it's I stand under hair. a spotlight, you can see my scalp. Don't think that's no. There's your hair is lustrous, luscious and lustrous. There's no. And even if you were thinning, there's nothing wrong with there's that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. Bald, bald men are meant to. How has this become like counselling for Amit? <laughs> my dad's bald. All my mum's brothers are bald. Um, my, all my dad's brothers are bald. Well, enjoy it while you've got it then. Sorry? Enjoy it while you've got it, because you won't have it forever, clearly. Genetics will out. But right now... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, you'll have a good timer. (laughs) Right now, you've got hot hair, so enjoy the hot hair. Um, That's all I can say. This is not how I thought this was going to (laughs) go. But I'm enjoying it very much. Emma, um, yes. can you... you, you Have you are... got all your hair, Emma? <laughs> yes. Can yes, you stand under a spotlight for yeah, us? Look, Susie? Is that all right? Yeah, we're doing all yeah. right. Confirmed. Great, great. Emma, who has all her, her hair and teeth. Um, <laughs> hang on, we didn't, we didn't confirm about the teeth. Wrong with my teeth. <laughs> um, Emma, <laughs> could you speak... You're, you, you're the captain of our ship. So if I'm collaborative, it's only because you run a collaborative ship and allow me to be collaborative, because Emma is the boss... That's the job of the director, and Emma is a, creates a very collaborative space, and we think alike on that. But Emma, you have to run all of the team, the company, the you know every, everybody. Can you speak a little bit to the themes of the play and what made you want to develop and direct this play? Uh, yes, I'd love to. Um, firstly, it's very easy to be a collaborative director when you have such a supremely talented group of people in the room because you just want to collaborate with you I want to collaborate with you all so that's you you make my life incredibly easy um and I I for me I I wanted to do this play because it talks so eloquently and at times it challenges you on the idea that we are all very different people whoever we are whatever we look like however we identify and we need to celebrate that, and we need to work hard to understand and respect those differences, and then um, build bridges between these people, between each other. And um, that's a message that I love and speaks very profoundly to me. And being able to lead that room and rehearse this play with the people, building bridges with each other is a privilege for me. Um, Susan, yeah. are there any themes in the play or characteristics that Adego has that you would like to talk about in terms of a feminist filter or a, uh, a world-changing filter? Yeah, what's quite interesting is, is what's happened in the last kind of four or five years where 
black women, particularly in the sort of in the age of social media, you know, I've, for instance, there's so many, when I was younger, there was not many figures that I knew who were kind of my peers or around my age talking about the things that meant a lot to me. And now there's so many people, there's so many commentators, there's so many, you know, there's so many voices. And I do think that social media is a large part of that because now you don't have to be pr uh, approved um, to get on TV or to write in print. Like you can get your ideas out there, which is a, which is an amazing thing. But also, it's you know, it's one of the reasons why I left Twitter. I don't think it's healthy to know that much <laughs> or to know that many people's opinions. But I think that Adego is somebody who has really kind of benefited from this this boom of conversation. And it means that she can um, have access to people and rooms, and she enjoys that. And I think that, you know, what I find really interesting about her and women like her is how do you remain an activist and talking on really important um, ideas and subjects? And then, you know, when it sort of skews into, like, being a kind of, for want of a better word an influencer even like somebody who you know gets loads of privileges and you know makes a living off this like I have a, a lot of friends who are writing all these books and it's and for them it's mining their lived experience which is good but also a lot of that lived experience is your trauma like and then that becomes your business and then like where is the line and I had a small tiny glimpse of that during lockdown when George Floyd was murdered and all of a sudden, I've been tagged in all these kind of people's lists of, you know, um, really smart, intelligent black people to follow, <laughs> which I was like, as you've seen tonight, not a good idea. <laughs> not true at all. Let's not, let's not do that. And, um, but it was, I got a little window into that and I, my inbox was just full of trauma and like people sending me videos of people being murdered and going, why aren't you speaking on this? Why aren't you speaking on that? And it made me angry because of, like, just piss off. But also, it made me think, God, imagine if that is how you've placed yourself. You're writing the books, you're going on Newsnight, you're doing all of that, and when something horrific happens, people are looking, as you know, people are looking to you to speak. And so, I've just always found it interesting and always sort of worried and cared and, you know, been concerned about particularly black women who find themselves in these spaces where they're making careers off you know, this kind of discussion, but, like, it's, it's you. Like, it's not theoretical. It's not theoretical. So that's what's been really interesting, playing Adego and uh, exploring in the room. Really, really interesting. Um, this is really helpful, actually. There's going to be 50 new pages tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Greg, what do you like about Tobin, and how do you hope it will build bridges, if you, in fact you do hope that, uh, with an audience who come to see it? I think an essential thing for me, and I would like to hear the other actors take on this, is as an actor, you cannot judge your character. We have our morals, we have our lived experience, we have to forget all that and play the morals and the lived experience of the person we're playing. Um, that doesn't mean that you, that, that, that you don't absolutely have to understand their drive and their commitment. Uh, I'm, learning, I'm learning so much uh, from being in the room 
with everyone. Um, because, of course, my world as an actor is super different because we are circus folk. We've, we, we are traveling troubadours. We have always been kind of the thing on the soles of the feet of the patriarchy in many ways, even as white straight males as actors. Um, so I'm having to try and understand the world that, that, that my chap's inhabiting. And it is hard. And I feel his pain. I absolutely feel his pain. Then I have to play his pain. And what his pain does, no spoilers, you all have to come and see it. It's really good. I'm particularly marvelous <laughs> in, in, this, in this piece of work. Be quite surprising, because the last time you saw me would have been Strictly. So this is quite different. It is quite different from Strictly, to, I'll give to, you that. To, to Not that much. Um, <laughs> we tried to put in a samba, he wouldn't have yeah. it. <laughs> but that's what's great about drama. You use someone's pain, and what a chap does with pain a lot of the time is inflict pain with his pain. Uh, and this is what plays out in this piece, which is yeah, I think wherever you're coming from, hopefully you're going to see somebody else's point of view. And Cass, the character of Cass, played by Amit, somehow inhabits that view. Um, can you talk a bit about what made you... Because you said when you read it, you really wanted to do it. What made you want to do it? I, well, at the time, I was trying to avoid comedy. But when you read something <laughs> like this, and it comes from a, from a very truthful place, so that the comedy's yeah. not there trying to be funny, uh, but you've uh, written something very real, and that's when I think comedy is strongest, when it comes from a very truthful place, when the stakes are high, when it matters, and there are moments where our characters say ridiculous things, but it's very truthful to where they are at that given moment. Um, but I just think, well, Debs, you write dialogue really well and for different types of characters. Mm -hmm. And each character has his or her own voice and they use their own vocabulary in their own way. So to be able to do that, I think, is some kind of magic trick because you're able to inhabit different characters. And... I don't know whether you do this, but I feel like some writers, when they write, they don't say it out loud, but I feel like you possibly do because it's so natural to deliver and all the, the rhythm of it, the, yeah, it just feels very natural. And for actors, it's, it's very easy to deliver and, um, and enjoy as well. So I really commend you for that. Thank you, Amit. You are the loveliest man in the world. Um, <laughs> equal first. Um, the, the, uh, yeah, I do say it out loud, and I think you write good dialogue if you're a performer, because though I don't do a lot of acting, I do a lot of stand-up comedy, and I'm on, on stage a lot, and I know the rhythms that will make something funny or make something not funny, and sometimes you need to make something not funny. Uh, if you make something funny, sometimes you undermine it. So in a play like this, I want it to be funny, 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 funny. Oh, really not fucking funny. You know, like that's the sort of 
game of it. And, and that's your superpower, I'd say. Uh, well, thank you very much. I had no Second idea. Days. This is my origin story. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I always say it out loud because if I wouldn't want to stand on stage and deliver it, I don't want to ask anybody else to. And I think sometimes that's what playwrights... And they don't care about that. T- and, yeah, <laughs> They'll give you the most writers. flowery like, sentence. and like, please say it. And you're like, mm-hmm. uh, the daffodils are dancing on the head of the unicorn. And you're like, please don't make me do that in front of my agent. <laughs> They're like, do it. But you re- it, that is such a good point. You can tell that you... It's not just that, oh, I don't want to make an actor go through it. You understand the endeavour of performance and a lot of... Not a lot, I don't want to shit on theatre, but like uh, oftentimes people, um, particularly if there are a lot of plays in, they forget the endeavour of performance and how exposing it is mm. and scary. And it just feels like you've thought of every possibility of what that experience for the actor would be like. You've got like respect for it, I think, for actors. You like, you like actors. I love actors and I also think... Um, yeah, there's something about... Sometimes I've had TV execs, when I've been writing TV scripts, say, that's not funny, that would get a laugh. And I have literally said to them, I said that on stage last night and it got a huge laugh. And I can play back, you know, if I sometimes use something in dialogue, they don't know funny, they don't know funny. They sit sometimes, you know, they, some do. Some do, I work with some very good people at the moment, but a lot of execs... Have they'll just go, they just read it, then script the reading at a flash on the page, and they don't know how it'll be delivered. What I love working with great actors like you, and I keep saying to Emma, I can't believe how lucky we've got because we've got like four stars. And Alexandra Roach is incredible as well in her part of Jack. And it's just such an amazing thing to have people with funny bones and very dramatic bones who know when to hold them and know when to fold them and know when to throw it away. And it's just such a privilege. And sometimes I don't know how you're going to say it in my mind I've heard it like this but then you'll say it like that and I think oh no that's better and partly it's better because that's what's coming out of you as an actor and that's what you're bringing to it but you're also very collaborative as well so if I go oh I just what I had in mind for that is could it be a bit more like this or this intention and you try not to you you should never ever give a line reading and say say like this you know Emma's brilliant at sort of saying could the intention be this that you know you immediately all of you will go ah okay yeah got it and I think working out where things are funny and and where things need to pull back and be serious and I think a lot of for me you can do a lot more to change the world um, with comedy than people realize people always want to do really serious dramas about people dying and being sad and punching each other and I'm like George Bernard Shaw, who, listen, was extremely progressive in many ways and in other ways was a big fan of eugenics. So, you know, um, very controversial figure. He did a lot of plays that did create social progress, you know, Pygmalion and Major Barbara, all sorts of plays about class and gender and stuff. And he said, if you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh or they'll kill you. And there's something in that. I have no interest in being killed, so I've written a comedy. But it... (laughs) That, I think, is true. And I think some of the most impactful parts of the play is when we've got these four brilliant comedic actors with this incredible timing. And a lot of the stuff that I think is going to get people's armour down, if they are feeling more in the Tobin seat, is what's funny. It's what's funny. Um, Could I I say something about Emma? You Mm. say something about Emma, and then I want to say something about Alex, because Alex isn't here. Great. We should say, yeah, we should talk about it. Emma's superpower is that she... Nervous now. 
she has an amazing ability to guide us and explore where the shifts in tone are within a scene. And those gear shifts are, I think, the moments where the audience do go forward and, and that's when they're engaged and when those shifts happen. And they're the you know, most interesting parts of the scene sometimes. Um, so that's what I found very enjoyable to, uh, in terms of working with Emma, that she has this great respect for your writing and, and exploring where these shifts in tone happen so that you're making, when you're making someone laugh, you can suddenly switch and deliver a line which really uh, hits you hard. Um, so thank you, Emma. Thank you. <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Susie? Um, yeah, I just want to be a bit sycophantic about uh, Alex Roach, who isn't here. Alex, uh, I, also, I don't want to speak for her, but I just, she's not here and her presence is, um, is missed. And Alex and I, we went to drama school together, and I've, so I've known her since I was 19. And um, Alex at school was... I think, uh, the best actress by a, a long while in our year, a really fierce actress. And there were certain experiences at drama school that meant that her career was more screen. And I've been saying to her for years, and a lot of other people have been saying to her for years who have had the pleasure of seeing her on stage that she has to, she's got to come back. Um, so th the fact that this has all happened, and it really did happen... Like, I didn't mention Alex to you or anything. I just got a call from Alex saying, I've been offered this play. Um, your name's attached. Are you doing it? I'll do it if you do it. And I thought, oh, game on, because you get to see her finally. Um, and, yeah, she's just, she's absolutely smashing it. And this character could only really be played with somebody with that kind of quiet fierceness that, that Alex has in spades and also loud fierceness and um and it's so amazing that I can come to work and I'm working with my sister I, one of my best friends and then another best friend and then you know people that I've not met before and you Amit who have you know we sort of passed each other ships in the night on another job it's unbelievable um because you see some of these people on television I'm not going to be mean not mean, actually. You see people who work with their friends and the people they went to university with and was in Footlights with and all those sorts of things. And, and I've always... I know that some people sort of go, oh, they seem like a clique and, you know, um, you know boo-hoo to that. But I've always gone, yeah, I understand why you want to work with your friends because they're your collaborators. And I've always been searching for that. Like, who are my collaborators? And so this really is the first time that I've worked with, with um, my... Um, uh, I was going to name one of them, but I was trying to think whether they're problematic, um, and I've decided they are. So I'm not going to call you in, um, call you <laughs> his name, but um, but no, it's been really cool to sort of find uh, my uh, troop. Yeah. As well as her fierceness, I think she's got an amazing ability to um, show her vulnerability as well. I, I sometimes, uh, because Alex and I are playing a couple, I look into her eyes and she delivers her lines with such truth. And I've said this to you, Debs, I just feel like I'm about to cry, even when the moment doesn't require it. But she's just a, a, a wonderful actress. And, um, yeah, I, I'm so glad I'm and doing then, this job with her. 
with all of that can also be incredibly funny. So funny. <laughs> yes, she's yes, she's very, she's very funny. funny. <laughs> very, very funny. Um, can you speak a bit to the relationship? Because the, your biggest relationship in the play, uh, Greg, is your character Tobin's relationship with Adego, who's your wife. Can you speak a bit about playing a relationship like that? Um, I don't know if you can tell because we're quite far away from you, but I'm quite a lot older than Susie. <laughs> um, <clears throat> which does get quite a few laughs in the play. And actually, I, I asked Deb to put another laugh line in, just making sure that people really did know that I was a great deal older <laughs> than everyone else on stage. Um, the sort of shtick of it is the collection of someone who will give him, as is talked about at the end of the piece, give him so much kudos having on his arm not just a younger woman, but a powerful younger black woman uh, that he trades off both in his professional life and in his personal life. Um, it's not a love story between these two people, but we have to believe that they were in love, that they are together when they enter. It's always very difficult playing a character that has a side to it or has, um, he's not evil, but has difficulties. When we're viewing him through the eyes of our heroine figure, and we have to not, have an issue with her having fallen in love with him. We have to be able to fall in love with him in a certain way as well. So that's one of the things that I'm always interested in doing. I've played an awful lot of psychopaths over my time and uh, murderers and um, pedophiles and various things. And uh, if you're able, if you're able to find within a piece, within a script, talk to the director, say, just allow some moment where the audience can go, oh, I understand. I might not like what you're doing or respect what you're doing, but I understand why you're doing it. I've always said to Debs, and, uh, you know, we have to believe that they're in love, that they're together, that they made the choice to be together. And this play really cleverly explores those choices. You get people going, oh, this is my preference, this is what I like, da-da-da. And what Deborah's writing encourages you to do is go, why? Why? And, and that's what we see... Uh, with Adego and, and Tobin is they examine why. Why is this? Why is this? I think that uh, what Debs has done is that you, you kind of uh, body hop from each character and you see certain bits of the play through their eyes really, really well. And um, I think it's important that we understand why we're married, why the four of us are friends, how that came to pass, and I think that that has been conveyed really well and in a really fun way as well. I also flip back and forth in my understanding or allegiance to these characters, and there's times when I'm like, I do feel for Tobin, and I've had, you know, people, all, we've had all sorts of people on the creative team over the development process, and in this room say, I understand Tobin, and I've never really understood that point of view before, and we've had a couple of young people who've been on our creative team who've gone, 
I get it. I get how he's feeling. And that's, I think that's incredibly important. Of course, you, I think, largely are on more on the side of a Dago. But of course. It's, you're not <laughs> never on the side of Tobin. As long as you understand Tobin and you see that humanity, I think that's the main thing. But, you know, um, is there anything, Amit, that you came to say that you didn't get to say? Anything you came to... Tonight. 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 Is there anything you wanted to say that you were like, oh, I hope I get to say that, that you didn't get to say? Okay. About Uh, the play, about life, about feminism? uh, um, Do a shout-out to our stage management team and Chai. Hey, you're there. Uh, I can't see anything. uh, Is Georgia here? And Chai. And Chai's our movement uh, director. And I will add... um, I will add a shout out to the associate director Devassa as well. Oh yes, I love her. Devassa. Are you here? Sorry, sorry. Who, um, um, is the, uh, Emma? Is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say about this play, or about theatre in general, or about anything? Fe- feminism. <laughs> this is your shot on the Guilty Feminist. Anything you came oh to God. say you didn't get to say? I always I ask people like this have, at the end because sometimes <laughs> someone came with yeah. something to say, and then they you get backstage and they go, "Oh, I didn't say this." And so I just want, that's just anything you want to say at all. You don't have to have anything, but if there's anything you'd like to say. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just thrilled. And I can't believe my luck that I get to do this. And I uh, used to listen to The Guilty Feminist walking around a park to cheer me up in 2015 when I was sad. And now I am working with you and doing one of your episodes and it's just wonderful. So thank you. Thank you for trusting me with your play. Thank you. Thank you for dropping me an email and, uh, and saying, hey, should we do something together? Because it's turned out really well so far. It, so far. <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, we'll let you know in a week. <laughs> yeah. Susie, anything you came to say you didn't get to say? I think that I can safely say that I've said enough. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's been lovely to be back. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming and co-hosting. It's been brilliant. Greg, anything you came to say you didn't get to say? Um, I would just like to shout out to the entire audience who've sat here <laughs> listening to people talking about something that they haven't seen. <laughs> uh, and listening properly. Because I know when you've lost a house and we haven't lost you, so thank you so much. You all will have to come and see the play. I am terribly good in it. <laughs> here's, here's. Here's. Um, uh, they all are genuinely terribly good. It's, it is, they are really, really good. And uh, very kind things have been said about the writing, but honestly, these people could have an absolute pile of shit and they would make it into something amazing. Uh, they are very, very, very good. Listen, we want to say a huge thanks to Chichester Festival Theatre for having us and also to Francesca Moody and Eleanor Lloyd uh, for producing the play and for everyone here at Chichester who are making it a reality. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation about how you know, actors inhabit characters and the feminist themes of it, and I hope you come and see it. But I also, it's just been such a joy to bring the Guilty Feminist here, and no matter what happens with the play, we'd love to come back and see you again. Bring the, I mean, you're not far away. We could jump on the train. Um, as Greg said, you've been a terrific audience, and I'm very heartened and excited now to see Chichester audiences see this play. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you've been one of the finest audiences of your generation. Uh, can I have a huge round of applause for Amateur? <laughs> Emma Butler? <laughs> Susan McComber? <laughs> Greg Wise? <laughs> I've been
Jamie, Deborah Francis White, we win the Guilty Feminists. Thank you. Good night. I should say Chichester Festival Theatre, shouldn't I? I should get it right. I'm a feminist, but backstage, the great thing about a podcast is you can take things again. <laughs> There'll be loads in the show tonight that will never make the recording, just because some of it will be libelous. Now, and some of it will be this, but you pay extra to hear the errors, but also the dirt. Okay. I'm a feminist, but backstage here at Chichester Festival Theatre, I was slightly tempted... The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.